Good morning, Four Points. Hey, y'all are alive this morning. For a second, I was about to let Shannon just preach for me. For a second. I mean, you can come back. I ain't mad. I ain't mad. Um, but my name is uh, Joseph Landers. Um, I'm a student pastor here. Uh, most of you know me as Joe. Um, who said that? I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> if the, the kids in uh, my son's classroom over here know me as the tattoo guy, and I, I've yet to figure out what they mean by that. Um, I'm still praying through it, so that's good. Um, uh, I don't know who was more nervous about this morning, uh, me or this beautiful young lady right here named Kelsey, a.k.a. my wife, if you don't know. Um, woke up this morning, and the worship music was on at least 4,000. Uh, I mean, it was all the way up. We had surround sound like shaking the house with worship music, so that was good. Uh, I get into the bathroom, and she's like, you know, spraying me with holy water, and she's asking me weird questions like, do you want to be baptized again? And like, do are you sure Jesus has your heart? And I'm like, yes, I'm sure. And sh- then she asked me a really serious question. She goes, well, does he have your mouth? And I'm like, we'll find out. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? I'm just kidding. That was a joke. So, yeah, don't say that. Speaking, speaking death over that one. Um, this morning, what I want us to talk about is uh, probably your second least favorite topic at church, uh, right behind money. Uh, we're we're going to talk about uh, your children. We're going to talk about, yeah, that was funny. Some of y'all are nervous. We're going to talk about the next generation. We're going to talk about the next generation. And you go, well, well, what do you know about the next generation? Well, uh, student pastor, come on now. Uh, I, I, we have 40, 30 to 40 uh, students here every single Wednesday. So uh, I think I know a little, just a little bit about the next generation. Uh, but to further prove that, because I, I, I know you need like this empirical evidence of how great of a parent I am, obviously, um, when... Uh, Pastor Russ first came, we were we were having like this this Zoom meeting, and you know where you try to like put on a nice shirt and fix your hair, but like you have pajama pants on type deal. Um, so we we were doing that. We we're having a staff meeting. Everybody's there. The the staff meeting it kind of wrapped up, and he gets to the end, and he you know he's trying to get to know us. We're trying to get to know him. You know that honeymoon phase where you're trying to be on your best behavior without really letting him know like how crazy you are type deal. Um, so we were we were kind of in that phase, and he he goes, uh, does anybody have any like special talents, or like uh, you know anything unique? Everybody's sitting there, you know, crickets, you know, and I'm like, I do, and you know, once again, it's showing from here up, and my lovely wife, her elbow has passed through every single one of my ribs <laughs> into my heart. Because she is like, don't you do this. And I'm like, you don't know what I'm going to do. She's like, you don't have any talent. Stop. Stop that. I know everything about you. You don't have any talent. And I'm like, we'll see what he thinks about it. So I raise my hand like a good schoolboy does. And I say, call on me. He goes, yeah, Joe, uh, what's up? And I go, well, uh, you see, uh, I have a, a talent that I'm that I've passed on to the next generation in my son. And he goes, oh, 
you know, he's like, you know, enthused. Like, he's, he's invested. Like, I'm about to lay some biblical knowledge on him. And uh, I'm like, oh, you're not ready. You're not ready. So uh, I say, well, you know, before this Zoom meeting, you know, because pajama pants, and I'm getting ready for bed because it was late. And I go, well, you know, before this meeting, we, uh, me and Ryder, my son, we were, you know, in the bedroom and watching TV or whatever. And I said, you know, I just got this urge to teach him, like, this thing that I know. And he's like, what is it? Like, you teaching him Bible verses? And I'm like, something like that, you know. And I go, what's well, this thing where uh, you, you take your hand like this, and then you cup it like this, and then, like, you lift your arm and you put it here. And, like, you make these, like, <laughs> like these flatulent noises. And he's like, okay. And I said, hey, I'm Joe. I'm a student pastor. <laughs> Welcome to Four Points. So if you haven't realized, uh, most of my sermons will start with a flatulence joke. So uh, I don't know any other way to start them, honestly. So, hey, send me an email, joe at fourpoints.org. <laughs> but uh, this morning, I want to encourage and challenge us uh, when it comes to raising the next generation. Uh, the reality is our, our children and teenagers are, are being submerged in, into a, a culture that is, is, is very counterculture to, to Jesus. It's very counterculture to what we hold to be true in this room. It, and it's our responsibility to, to steward the next generation. It's our responsibility to steward the next generation. Um, regardless if you know, we have children or not, uh, we in this church, we in this congregation are responsible to, to raise the next generation that, that is coming up after us. And you go, well, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have kids. Well, that's okay. Ra raise your hand if you're 25 and under. 25 and under. Raise your hand. You're not coming up here. Don't be nervous. All right, we see two, three, four, five, six. I see a bunch over here that are lying in church. Uh, so there's probably 10 or 15 in here, you know, honestly. So you, you don't have to come up here. You don't have to be nervous. That, that's for later. I'm just kidding. So um, you have 10 or 15 in here, and you go, well, I've heard this before. You go, well, I'm too old. I'm too old to reach them. Well, uh, the truth Scripture says, go and reach everybody. Everybody. That don't have an age cap. You're never too old to reach the next generation. And, and then on the flip side of that, we go, well, well, they're too young to do anything. They're too young to reach people. Well, uh, uh, Scripture also says, uh, go and reach everybody. That, that doesn't have an age requirement. So we're focused on caps and requirements, and we're focused on making converts and not making disciples. And we go, well, what's wrong with the generation? What's wrong with the culture today? What's wrong with our reality? Me. Me. Because I'm telling them they're too young. I'm telling them to wait. I'm telling them, well, you wait till you get out of college, until you get married, until you have two and a half kids by the American standard, and, and then you'll be ready to reach the least lost and the lonely. But, but what I don't realize is this, is the fact that the 25 and under, you're, you're in college, you're in high school, you're in middle school um, in this room, you're in the biggest mission field you're ever going to have. You know what my mission field is? That guy. 
One guy in a truck. Wow. We wait. Like, what, what was I waiting on? Like, they, they have between, uh, what, 15, 20, 25 kids in a classroom, and that changes throughout the day. You know, they're surrounded by a bunch of different kids that are part of the least lost and the lonely, and they're, they're also uh, surrounded by teachers that are the least lost and the lonely, and then, then we tell them, well, you need to wait. You need to wait. You're not, you're not ready yet. Well, why aren't they ready? Because I didn't pour into them out of overflow. I they don't see me talking to Jesus, so they don't know to go to school and talk about Jesus. And we'll, we'll get up in arms, and, and we're ready to fight tooth and nail over, you know, we say, well, they took prayer out of school. We should put it back. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They took organized time out of school to pray. They didn't take your child out of school. They didn't take your child out of school. Your child can still go to school and pray. Can you not? So, why are we not doing it? Why, why do we need organized time to go to school and pray? Well, because that's the only time they did, when it was organized. Because the only time that I pray is when it's organized, at church on Sunday and on Wednesday, when I have to act like I have it all together in front of 40 students or in front of 100 adults. They don't need me to have it all together. They don't need you to have it all together. They need you to be transparent and open with them. That brings us to our, our first point. They need to see an authentic relationship with Jesus from you. They need to see that. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and, and teaches us to do what is right. God used it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. We need to enjoy our relationship with Christ. We need to enjoy it, not hide from it. My, my goal, I think this is going not good. Um, my goal in my house is I, is I want a uh, war room. You know, that's where I go to spiritual battle on the next generation's behalf. But at the same time, guess what? I want my kids to be in that room with me. Well, why? They need to see that I'm a bridge, not a wall. Because culture, we have enough walls. We have enough walls out there telling them, you can't do that. You're not ready. You're not good enough. And guess what? They believe that. And then we come in here, and we're continuously walls, and, and they don't, they, they're like, well, what's different than out, here, out there and in here? It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. So I, I want to prove to my 6-year-old and, and my 16-year-old, like, I, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to fight for you. I, I'm willing to be the bridge. I'm willing to fill the void. I'm willing to step in the middle. I'm willing to go to war on your behalf. I'm willing to go to war on the 40 other students that, that God has given us to shepherd on Wednesday night. I'm willing to go to war for them. I'm willing to stand in the gap. Because I, I know I'm called to be a bridge. I know I'm called to be a bridge. We need to stop wanting to be our own God until things go bad. Because it, it's easy for me to get up here and self-promote and, 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 to, and to build this platform that I can never hold up to. It's easy. 
It's easy for me to put on a show and you believe it, and then I feel good about it. Does that help the kingdom? No. Does that do anything for the next generation? No. Will that make me viral on TikTok? Maybe. It might. But what we do, we go, well, God, I don't need you on the mountain, but I'm going to call on you on the valley. And God's like, Joe who? No, I'm just kidding. He knows who I am. We want situational deliverance, but we don't want to give thanks on the mountain, but we want to call for help in the valley. And, and I, don't, I don't know that that's, that can be my genuine walk with Christ. I, I, don't, I don't want to miss those opportunities to, to give thanks while I self-promote way up here, and I build this platform for myself, and I have this pride well up in me, and I go, well, I did it up here, but I want you to handle it down here when things are crappy. So God, get me out of here, and I'm never going to do it again. We've said it. I've said it. We can be honest with each other. Nobody out there is going to know. That's what we do. We say, God, get me out of here. Get me out of the valley, and I promise, promise, I'll never do that again. Wink, wink. You know, that's what we do. So um, I meant to say this earlier. There, through the sermon, we have, um, I've broken it up into four points. <laughs> Nobody? Okay. Uh, so that's just that's just how much of a pastoral genius that I am. I'm just kidding. Maybe we just talked about pride because that's funny. Um, my wife thought it was funny, so that's good. <laughs> I well, I, bro- I kind of broke the mold because um, pastors we we love like the the three point sermon. Uh, that's what we stick to because um, it it just you know that's just what it is. So today we have four points, but that brings us to our second point. We need to live a mimicable life. We have to be leaders that stand on the gospel. We have to be leaders that, that stand on this. Because the problem is, we'll stand on a lot of things. We'll stand on a lot of half-truths. And like Pastor Russ said, a half-truth is a whole lie. And we'll build our whole identity on stuff that's not true. And we'll self-promote ourselves on Facebook and any kind of other social media instead of stand on this. Stand on the truth, but that's what we're called to do. We have to stand on this for our families, for our communities, for our children. We, we have to stop saying, well, well, back in my day, that's what, that's what my grandparents used to say. Well, back in my day, like, that was a long time ago. I don't know what that is. Back in my day, and start realizing this is our day. This is your day. This is your day. T- today is the day. It- it's-, it's our job to-, to step up and lead the next generation into service. We can't, we can't bring our kids to, to church on Sunday for, uh, we'll say an hour. Well, okay, I'll give you two hours if you serve. We'll say two hours. Um, and then we'll say you bring them to uh, Wednesday night service. So that we'll say that's, you know, let's see. If that guy, if that one guy that leads it gets long-winded, it's probably two or three hours. Uh, so we'll say between five, six hours. Uh, we, we can't bring them, you know, to, that, to those set times and, and think that's enough to get them through the week. If, if you only drink on Sundays, drink water. Let me clear that up. If you, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> 
if you only drank water on Sundays and Wednesdays, what's going to happen on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? You're going to be thirsty. So why are we sending them into schools thirsty? Well, what if they skip Wednesday? We'll get there. And this ain't like bring your kids to my youth group or whatever, you know, or Four Points Youth Group, whatever. Nah, but we'll get there. Stick with me. So it, it's not enough. It, it, it's not enough. Those five or six hours is, is not enough to sustain them in, in a culture that will do everything to tear them down. And, and then when, when all hell literally breaks loose in their life, what do they do? They don't know how to get out of it. Why? Because I haven't, I haven't talked to Jesus, so they don't know how to talk to Jesus. And that's been a conviction on my heart when, when we were going through the sermon. And, and, and I sat down, I'm, you know, we're getting ready for bed. I'm like, Ryder, let's pray. And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, man, I can preach to 40 students on a Wednesday. But my six-year-old doesn't know what talking to Jesus is. Well, why doesn't he know what it is? Because he hasn't seen his earthly father talk to Jesus. He's seen me fail in that aspect. So I have to live a mimicable life. I have to do it. It's our job as parents to, to saturate them in the Word of God. That don't mean like, you know, I'm going to pour out a little bit of, you know, what I have left at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, guess what I have? Nothing. And I've heard before, well, you can't pour out of an empty cup. Well, yes, you can. You can certainly pour out of an empty cup. Because you know what's in the bottom of that, of that cup? A bunch of junk that's sitting at the bottom. And guess what? Most of the time, guess what my family catches? The crap that's sitting at the bottom. And then I wonder, like, why does, why does my six-year-old not, not know how to pray? Why, why does he act this way? Why, why does my 16-year-old act this way? Well, what are, they, what are they receiving out of my overflow? Nothing. They're receiving the junk at the bottom that, that, that I have left. Because throughout the day, I, I, haven't, I haven't received the overflow from where I need to receive it. I've just poured and poured and poured and poured. And I said, well, this is what I have left. That's what I have left for you. It's our job to saturate them in the Word by our actions, by our intentions, by our priorities. And a lot of times, those three things don't match up. Because I can come in here and say, well, it, you know, it's, it's our priority to, you know, prioritize God in our life. But then when I get home and life goes crazy, those priorities fly out the window. And I go, well, what happened? And then, you know, you get upset. Well, then what happens? Your actions don't meet the intentions that you started with. And then it's like, oh, well, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And so my, my priorities, my intentions, and, and my actions, they, they don't match. They don't, they don't match what I, what I put on, on on Sunday or Wednesday. And then, and then the next generation doesn't have their priorities right. Because I never had mine right. And the reality is, some of us need to stop pushing to have our students running up and down a field and start encouraging them to run for God's kingdom. And, and that's very counterculture to what you're going to receive out there. It is. It, it's difficult for where we live to hear this. 
when I, when I was in youth group growing up, I played, I played a lot of sports. I played a lot of sports. I, that was what I identified myself with. I, I played sports every single day. <clears throat> but I was involved in a youth group, and my youth leader had her priorities straight. She prioritized me to do this, to run for God's kingdom. Not because I wanted to, but she knew what I was going to encounter once I graduated. She knew what was out there that I had not faced yet. She knew what was going to happen. So she pushed every Wednesday. It was like, hey, you need to tell your coach you're not going to make it. You need to have a genuine conversation. Well, why? Was it because that I didn't like the sport I was playing? Well, no. She just knew that this was more important. I didn't at the time, and I would fight tooth and nail and go, well, and, you know, my grandparents were fighting tooth and nail because, like, he needs to go to college, and I'm like, I'm not going to college type deal. <laughs> and, but they, but my youth leader knew, like, you have to run for God's kingdom in everything you do, and that means you need to be involved in some type of ministry. It doesn't have to be mine. It doesn't have to be, you know, the one down the street, but you need to be involved somewhere. Your, your child needs to be involved somewhere. The, gener- the following generation has to be involved somewhere, period. You know, because where else are they going to get it? Where else are they going to get it? They need it. They need to be surrounded by, by believers, their age. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, our third point, to raise the next generation, we intentionally engage them. We intentionally engage them. That means you go to where they are. That don't mean... You, you throw a hook out and try to hook them and try to, like, reel them into you. No, it ain't been working. So we need to go to them and where they are and where they're at to reach them. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, <clears throat> Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That preach is good. That preach is good. And some of you have taken verse 9 very literally, and you've, you've hung uh, verses all up around your house, like you're Joanna Gaines or something. And, you know, if you're my wife, you think you're the pioneer woman. And, you know, you, we have verses everywhere. And it's like, I don't know what that verse is, but it's up there. You know, it's like, okay, well, that looks good there, I guess. And our, our whole, our whole uh, house looks like a, a, the glossary of the Bible, and it's great. It's fantastic. But... You're repeated again and again to your children. You're repeated again and again to your children. Because the reality is that our children are being fed information daily. And and most of it is is garbage spun to fit the agenda of whatever social media influencer or gamer that that they're paying attention to, that, that has their attention, or that they happen to come across that day. So as I was preparing the sermon, I, I... I got curious about the stats of social media use and, and our students because I'm a math guy. Math makes sense to me. Two plus two is always going to equal four. Okay? That, that makes sense to me. My wife, English. I can't write. I can't spell words. I'm pretty much illiterate. Thank you, Woodruff. 
So I had to throw it in there. Pastor Russ, that's for you. So math makes sense to me. So I, I stuck with TikTok. Well, why? Well, that's where your kid's at. Your kid's on TikTok. What should you be monitoring? TikTok. Okay. So some stats. TikTok, 37.3 million users between the ages of 10 and 25 with a daily usage of 105.1 minutes. So they're spending, uh, what, an hour and 45 minutes on TikTok on average. So 46% of teens report being online almost constantly. Almost constantly, they're online in some form or fashion. Something is feeding into them. And I can almost guarantee you it's not the Bible app. I can almost guarantee you it's not. 87% of 12 to 15-year-olds use social media. That's a lot. That's a lot. 44% of 8 to 11-year-olds use social media. Well, where are our students at? Where are our teens at? What are they being fed? Here. That's stats. Like, this makes sense. And we go, well... I don't understand why why they reacted that way. I don't I don't understand why they encountered this situation and, and they didn't know what to do. Well, TikTok hadn't taught them that yet. TikTok is it, social media of any sort, the internet of any sort, it, it is not a substitute for me as a parent. I I I have to be available to them. I have to be present with them. They, they have to see me and know my heart. Because if they don't, they're going to know somebody else's heart. And those morals don't align mostly with mine. And on top of that, you know, we, we can rest assured that, you know, Everything that is on the internet that our kids are hearing on the internet is accurate. Oh, y'all must know about them fact checkers too. If I make a joke with my wife, if if her hand were ever to get cut off in a tragic accident of some sort, she would have a phone permanently transplanted right there to it. It's just how much she loves the phone. So that's a side note just for kicks and giggles. So... <clears throat> Church, we've got to talk to our students. We've got to talk to them. When is the last time that you sat down with your, with your child, your niece, your nephew, a friend's child, and you spoke truth into their life? When did you do that? Nugget, I see you. I see what God's doing in you. I see the young woman of faith that he is building in you. You're meant for greatness because that's the purpose he has for you. Is Nugget my child? No. Did it stop me from pouring into her and speaking truth over her? No. So what's stopping us? What's stopping us? Why do we have this magical barrier where we say, well, I can't speak truth over the next generation? 
Why do, why do we have that? Have you reminded them that they were created on purpose? That Nugget has a purpose? Have you told one of the 10 or 15 people under 25 in here that they have a purpose? The next question is a little bit harder. When was the last time that you sat down with Jesus and let him remind you that you have a purpose? That you were created on purpose? Because what I found is it's hard for me to tell somebody else they have a purpose if I don't know my purpose. Because I'm speaking empty words that don't, that don't mean a hill of beans to me. It just tickles their ears because I know that's, that's what they want to hear. But really, I don't understand my purpose, so I can't really speak true purpose over you because I haven't talked to God. Number four, to raise the next generation, we must live by faith. Judges 2, 8 through 10. <laughs> Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath-Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. This right here, this right here, this verse right here, it scares the living crap out of me. As a student pastor, it scares the crap out of me. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. That's why I'm a student pastor. That, that's why I show up on Wednesday. That's why I show up on Sundays. Because this is a genuine fear of mine. Because I know what culture says. And I know the world would love this. But as a believer in Christ, I have to do everything to fight with my whole being, with my whole heart. I have to fight this verse. I have to go to war over this verse. I have to do it because I have to care about the next generation. Well, why? Because those students that raise their hand, that's the church. That's the church. Not the church of tomorrow, and not the church of yesterday, but that's the church of today. And we need to be pouring into and developing that. Because if we don't, there's going to be a generation that grew up who didn't know the Lord. And, and they stopped looking at mile markers in my life where, where God did mighty things, where I may not have seen him there, but I can look back and say, God, I, I see the mile marker in my life where you worked. And they stopped looking at mile markers, and they started looking at my tombstone saying, well, God worked in his life, but I don't see him working in mine. And, and we're called to be people of mile markers, not of tombstones. And culturally, it's backwards. Culturally, it's backwards. We have to remind them of, of the things that God has done in our past. Joshua, he died when he was 110 years old. According to Judges 2.8, he had brought the people out of Israel into the promised land of Canaan. He, he had led them through many victories. He had set them a good example in faith of God. After his death, others of his generation lived on for a while. But then they too died out. 
While they lived, the people of Israel served God faithfully because the memory of his greatness was preserved through them. Verse 7 says, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who, who had seen all the great work which the Lord had done for Israel. While the memory of God's greatness and the work he had done for Israel was alive, the people maintained their devotion to God. While, while, they, could, while they could see the mile markers, their faith was still alive. But verse 10 says that after the death of Joshua, those who had seen God's mighty acts, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work which had done, which he had done for Israel. That should make us as the church scared. It should. And the result of this is given in verse 11. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And then verse 14 describes the, the, the divine response to the idolatry. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers. He gave them over to plunderers. I don't want us to be known as there arose another generation after them who did not know the work of the Lord or the work that he had done for four points. For the, for the work that he had done in the community of Greer, for the work that he had done in the community of Woodruff, for, for the work that, that he sent and empowered our students to do at Burns, for, for the work that he sent them to do at Greer, for the work that he sent them to do at Dorman, for the work that he sent them to do at Woodruff High. I don't want it to read that. Ronald Reagan said, <clears throat> freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It's not, it wasn't genetic. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. If you replace the word freedom with faith, it, you, have a, you have an even more important call. Our, our, our faith is only one generation away from extinction. This is the most important thing you as a believer will ever pass down to your students. It's not your last name. It's not that, that wealth that you got sitting in a bank. It's none of that. The most important thing that you will pass down is this. And we have to get the passing down of, of our faith to the next generation. We have to get it right. We have to get it right. So church... It's time for us to step up. It's time for us to step up and raise the next generation. We do this by, by being students of God's word, by, by having a memorable life, by intentionally engaging students where they are, not trying to pull them to us, but going to them. We do this by, by living a life of faith because that's, that's all we have. We, we have to get back to our faith. We, we have to start prioritizing God in our own life and the, in the lives of our children. Because if we don't, we're meant for that verse. So the question today, what does it look like for you to prioritize God as your main priority? What does that look like? For parents, what does it look like for you to prioritize God first for your family? What do you need to start? Because we love to procrastinate. And God's called you to start something. You keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow. 
and tomorrow never gets here. And then you keep saying, well, generation, you can wait. Well, how long can they wait? I don't know. What do you need to quit? Because sometimes you've been called to something for one season, but you stretch it out to a century, and you put up a house when you've only been called to put up a tent because you're supposed to go somewhere else. So what are you being called to quit? Church, where can you begin intentionally engaging and helping us raise the next generation at Four Points? Where can you do it? Because church, it starts with us. It starts with you and me. Locking arms, going to war for this next generation. It starts with us leading armies. We can never expect them to lead armies and push the kingdom forward if we're not doing it ourselves. We have to. 25 and under, stand up. You're not coming up here, I promise. Stand up, 25 and under. That means you too, Jonah. I saw it. 25 and under. It starts with our faith. It starts with our faith. In order to lead this generation, it requires someone to go first. It requires someone to go first. So students, will you? Will you go first? Will you lead? It's your time. Today is your day. Because I know what God has put in each one of you. I know what God's called you to. I know that he's called you to lead armies for the kingdom. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait till tomorrow, five years down the road. You can do it today, right now. Congregation, will you be the first to go? Will, will you be the first to stand with them, to stand with the next generation and lock arms with them and go to war with them and fight with them? Will it be you? Will it be you? Will you go first to, to see your children radically changed by the love of God? Will you, will you go first to see the next generation be set on fire for the kingdom? Will you go first in love and faith and repentance? Will you go first in pouring yourselves out into the next generation? Will you go? Will you go? That's the challenge today. So congregation, the next generation is already standing. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? If you're willing to walk side by side with them and prepare them and equip them even though you don't know them if you're willing to be the church for them stand up stand up go first go first for them that's your call that's your call church that's what it's about our prayer team is going to come up here in a minute and what, I, what our goal is today is I want you to come and pray over the next generation. I want you to pray for them by name. Why? Because they're important. And God has a purpose on their life that you can walk with them through or you can be a wall and shut them down from. So let's be bridges at four points. That's what we're called to do. So let's go today right now and let's be a bridge at this altar for the next generation let's go and I